Well, good morning. Welcome to Springbrook. We're so glad you're with us today to celebrate Palm Sunday. And as I tell you, as I've grown, as I've gotten older, I've come to better appreciate uh, Palm Sunday. When I was a kid, it was always one of those holidays that came the week before I was going to get candy. And so, but I tell you, Palm Sunday is definitely something to celebrate. Today, we're going to look at five lessons that we can learn from Palm Sunday. And I'm glad that you are with us uh, this morning. I'm going to stop commenting about the snow. I'm just going to give up on the weather. We're glad you're here. If you uh, use our app, uh, you can go to uh, uh, the app and open up uh, under my events. You can follow along. I've got the sermon notes uh, there as well, or you can follow along with the YouVersion Bible uh, app as well. Uh, but today we're going to look at five lessons that we can learn from Palm Sunday, and I'm really looking forward to um, what God has for us this morning. Before we get started, I just want to kind of share a couple of thoughts with you. You know, I, I think one of the things that I have discovered um, is, is that it is possible um, to be religious and really miss who Christ is. It's possible to be religious and miss uh, who God is. A lot of people are religious and they have no idea uh, who God is, that he exists, that he loves them. And that's just one of the realities that I think that we face um, as a culture. And from my perspective, um, I think it's something that we're continuing to see some decline in. Um, There is just a lot of confusion about God and about who Christ is and how to have a relationship with him. And it is getting worse. I was online last week, and I found uh, there's an atheist organization that actually has church now. And so I found an interesting quote um, from one of the uh, American atheist websites. And there are hundreds of groups uh, that are atheists that actually have churches. And so go figure. But I found this on one of the websites uh, from one of these organizations. It said there's millions of people who no longer believe in God, but they stay in their churches because of the community and the support that churches provide. And so there's not just confusion in our culture, but there's confusion in the church. And so this morning we want to clear up some of those realities as we look at these lessons from Palm Sunday. But it goes on to say that with more than 170 local congregations, American atheists stand ready to help. And they're vibrant communities full of people just like you who have left God behind. And so that is the reality that we're facing from a cultural perspective. And so this church exists um, to help people come to know and explore and fully experience a God that loves them, has a plan for them uh, through his son, Jesus Christ. But culturally, there's a lot of confusion. There's confusion in the church. And so we're going to talk about some of those things this morning. But some of the other things I went on to find uh, were some interesting statistics about just the condition of the culture that we're in. So Springbrook Community Church I don't know if you're familiar with our area, Lake on the Hills, Algonquin. You go down into Huntley, up to Crystal Lake. I drew a circle around our population just to get a ballpark. And uh, we have uh, about 150,000 people uh, in a radius around in Springbrook. Isn't that amazing? 150,000 people in a radius of our church. And so I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited about the opportunity that we can grow and encourage and equip one another. But my heart also breaks uh, for those in our community that don't, know the God that we love and serve and loves us back. But, you know, it's interesting because if you think about the condition of our community in the U.S. in general, um, if you look over just the different, um, just different statistics that get gathered, and you can take statistics with a grain of salt. Um, so I don't really trust, I'm not a statistics guy, I don't really trust a lot of numbers that come at me. Uh, but for the most part, I do find that the trend is true. And so whether or not you hold to whether or not there, there's reality in the statistics, I think the trend is right. Um, it's been my experience that we have seen a decline 
uh, the number of people that are attending church. We have seen a decline in the, in the effectiveness of a church to reach um, our community for Christ. We move people between churches, uh, but in general, it can be difficult to try and connect and engage uh, our community. But overall, we have seen a, a shift. And you know, one group I was reading from talked about the fact that there's been a 10% reduction uh, in the Christian population just in the last eight years. And so we're starting to see some decline uh, in the church. And that's something I've experienced. I know one of the reasons I actually went into ministry uh, was because of the, just hearing that there's 3,500 churches that will close their doors every year. You know, 1,500 will start up, but 3,500 churches close their door every year. So a church will open up and people will move from church to church, but we're not reaching our community for Christ. And so overall, we have seen a decline of those of the Christian faith, 10% according to this survey. Another one of the things that they shared was is that there's 44% of adults say that God plays absolutely no role in their life, and this is from within the church. And so people will come into church, and it sounds good. It was, you know, it was a good message, good music, but it doesn't affect my life uh, as I move into the week. And so almost half the people that even engage in, in church, let alone outside in our community, don't feel that God plays an absolute uh, you know, critical role in their life. 60% of churchgoers can't remember one spiritual insight from the previous week's sermon. So I would ask you to stand up. What did Pastor Tim teach on last week? You know, sometimes we kind of come and we go, and there's so many things uh, that compete for our mental capacity that things get pushed out. And if we're not careful, spiritual things get pushed out as well. You know, things of God get pushed out as well. And if we're not careful, we have the potential of just missing who Christ is. And so this morning, I want you to know one of your spiritual takeaways is, is that um, you can be religious and miss who Jesus is. And so we want to make sure that we look at five lessons that we can glean and apply to our life um, next week so that we don't do that. The survey would go on to say that 50% of the people that regularly attend church have no relationship with Jesus. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, we are glad that people come to Springbrook to find answers about God and the Bible and about who Jesus is. And so I get excited when somebody comes in uh, to Springbrook and they want to know more about how to have a relationship with Christ. We celebrate that. That's why we exist, to, to reach our community for Christ and to build disciples. And so I get excited about people that come into the church to have questions. But as that number continues to grow, hopefully people are making faith decisions, right? And we start to see people grow in their faith at Springbrook. And from a cultural perspective, you know, that's a reality that we're working with. 70% of the people in church next weekend uh, will not have a relationship with Christ. That's staggering for me to think about. That many people that will come to a church that will hear about Jesus and then not do anything with it. And so if we're not careful, we have, uh, we're at risk of hearing the word proclaimed and worshiping God, but not letting us transform us. And so these five lessons we're going to look at this week are really important because we want to talk about transformation. And then this is the other one that I think uh, was pretty interesting that stood out for me, was that 25% of the U.S. population has a relationship with Christ. 25% of uh, our U.S. population uh, would be defined as Christian, evangelical. We have a relationship with Christ. And you know what's staggering about that is you know what that means? 75% of the people don't. I mean, 75% of the people in our population don't know where they're going to spend eternity. They don't know a God that loves them. They don't know what we get to experience on a weekly basis with regard to love and direction and purpose in life. And that just breaks my heart. Uh, just praying as we move towards Easter that God would use Springbrook to connect and engage 
um, with our culture. And I know that number is kind of staggering. It's, it's really easy sometimes to dismiss those. And so I want to kind of put those in context for you. And so I'd like to ask you to all stand for a moment. If you would just, uh, everybody stand. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so you need to know that God loves every single one of you. God loves everybody. Isn't that amazing? God loves every single one of you. But we also know that 50% of the people that come into a church on any given Sunday morning don't have a relationship with Christ. So I want to ask everybody on this side to sit down. And so on every given moment, when you go into a church, when you come into Springbrook, when you go into another church, you know, any church that you attend, statistically, half the people in the church don't know who God is, don't have a relationship with Christ, and don't know where they're going. And so it's easy to look at those statistics and not be able to put a face to it. But I want to encourage you, as you look around on Sunday morning, if you're here and you have a question about a relationship with Christ, we are so glad you are here. But we want to help you to be able to engage and understand what that is. And so that's why we exist, is to help you know that. And then if you think about what happens next is, I want to ask everybody in the back half to sit down. And so everybody in the back half of the church sit down. So this little section over here, if you think about our population, okay, good news. You guys are all going to heaven. Isn't that something to celebrate? We get so, isn't that, it's exciting because I know where I'm going. Aren't you excited about where you're going? I am so excited about where we're going. I'm so glad you're here. We want to encourage you in your faith. We want to build you up so that you can what? Go out and reach these people that are sitting out here that don't have what you have. And so on any given morning, the body of Christ is about coming together and worshiping God and and, and equipping uh, saints for ministry, but we also exist to reach everybody else that doesn't have a relationship with Christ. Amen? And so it's really easy to look at those statistics and not put a face to it. So you can, all, you can sit down too. It's really easy to think about that number, and then when you leave here, forget the number. And I don't want you to forget that number. I don't want you to forget that 75% of the people around you don't know where they're going to spend eternity. They don't know a God that loves them. They don't know how to have a relationship with Christ. And so as we look through these principles and these lessons this morning, I'm praying that God would use them um, just to draw us closer to himself and then to equip us um, for what God would have for us. And I'm sure if I were to ask you, if you're going to school, whether you're a student, uh, maybe somebody in school, if you were to have a relationship or a question, you start to talk to somebody in your school or your workplace or your neighborhood. Think about how many people that you know that you can have a spiritual conversation with that would be encouraging versus telling you, that's good for you, you know, just stay over there. I mean, most of the conversations we have with people are, eh, just, you know, stay over there. And so I think it's something that I would say if I was going to take a poll that you would probably agree with me on. That the majority of people that you work with, that you go to school with, or that you live next to, uh, probably are not in church on Sunday morning. They're not in church on Easter, and they don't know where they're going uh, for Christmas. And so that's a sad state of affairs. And so Palm Sunday is an important opportunity for us to come together and to think about and focus on what we're headed into as we prepare for Good Friday and for Easter. Palm Sunday is one of those things that, for me, growing up was just a mystery. In fact, uh, I was so grateful when Google came out. Google was around before I became a believer, so I was constantly Googling, what's Palm Sunday? What's Easter? You know, Google's a great resource. And so uh, we got some great resources for you if you want to know a little bit more about um, how to help you grow in your faith. But you know, for me, Palm Sunday was that, it was seriously, it was the weekend before we got a basket of candy and I was going to get out of school on Friday. 
and uh, we would get up on Sunday morning. I was like, well, I'm not sure why we're going, but I, I get a palm. And so we waved some palms. When I was a kid, been, I would have been up front going, well, I'm not sure what we're doing here, but this looks like fun. And then the whole way in the car, I'd be in trouble because my sister and I would be hitting each other with them, and we'd be fighting over who got the palm branch. And so Palm Sunday for me doesn't kindle up a lot of great memories with regard to who I am in Christ and what we're supposed to be doing as a church. Palm Sunday is Jesus' public proclamation that he is the Messiah. He is the one that we have all been waiting for in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. It's a critical, important day because that's the day that Jesus set apart to say, I am your Savior. I am the Messiah. I am the one that is going to save you from your sins. And and he fulfills all these different prophecies as he gets ready to head into the city of Jerusalem. I was looking last week at there's a couple of different websites about how many prophecies are fulfilled in Christ. Sometimes the list is around 250, 300, 500. It's amazing when you look at the life of Christ and see how he fulfills so many different Old Testament prophecies. One of the prophecies that gets fulfilled on uh, Palm Sunday is Zechariah 9.9, and we're going to be looking at that um, this morning. Jesus did not come to replace Scripture. He came to fulfill um, what was written. So we're going to celebrate that this morning as we look at um, five lessons that we can learn from Palm Sunday. All four of the uh, Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, talk about um, the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday. Um, today we're going to be looking at uh, the passage from the book of Luke, chapter 19. So if you brought your Bibles with you, you want to turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 19, or you can just listen along as I read, or you can follow along on the app um, if you've opened that up uh, for notes. But it says this, beginning in verse 28. Jesus is talking to the disciples, uh, and then after he finishes talking to them, He says this, he went up on a head going up to Jerusalem and as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you're going to find a colt there uh, which no one else has ever ridden on. Untie it and bring it to me. If anyone asks you why you're untie it, tell him the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. And they were untying the colt. Its owners came up and said, hey, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord needs it. So they brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt and they put Jesus on it. And as he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had been seeing him perform. And they said this, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven. In glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees that were in the crowd said to Jesus, Would you please rebuke your disciples? Jesus said to them, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he began to weep over it. And he said, If you, even you, had known on this day what was going to bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days are going to come upon you when your enemies are going to build an embankment, an embankment against you. And they're going to circle you and they're going to hem you in. They're going to dash you to the ground and your children within your walls are all going to be dashed down. They will not leave one stone on top of another because you did not recognize the time that God is coming to you. And so we want to stop. And so that is, that is Palm Sunday. And those passages are what undergird our celebration about what Palm Sunday is. And that's what 
we're going to celebrate this morning. And so we're going to look at these five lessons that we can learn from this passage. And, um, you know, it begins um, with Jesus traveling over the mountain of olives, and he sends two disciples ahead of him to a uh, village to find an animal. And so one of the first lessons that we can learn is actually from the disciples. You know, the disciples modeled for us the importance of being obedient. Obedience is one of the marks of being a disciple with Christ. And so we see that Jesus sends the two disciples ahead of him to his village to find the animal. And uh, he says this in verse, 20, uh, verse 30. He said, go into the village in front of you. Upon entering it, you're going to find a colt uh, tied up, and no one's going to have ridden on him yet. I want you to untie it, and I want you to bring it to me. <laughs> you know, I've, kind of, I've just kind of been reflecting on that passage. It just seems like it's, uh, I'm trying to picture that in my head. So we're walking along and Jesus says, hey, be like, uh, go out and, and, and to the next parking lot and find somebody's car and bring it to me because I need it. And so that's what this would have been like. You know, Jesus is saying, hey, there's going to be a cult in the next village. Go get it and bring it to me because I need it. And I just, I can't imagine you know, what they must have been thinking. It's like, well, that's kind of a strange command. And, you know, going to town, you're going to find a cult and bring it to me. I just, you know, it just it seems kind of a, like a strange request if it would have been to me. I mean, has God ever asked you to do anything that you thought, well, this is kind of strange. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be doing here, but okay, I guess I'll do it. Has God ever asked you to do something that you're just not quite sure what to do with, but you step out in obedience and do it anyway? You know, I remember when I first went into uh, uh, ministry, I left a job, and I'm not kidding you. When I left health, when I left my job, there wasn't one person, not one. I mean, I love my wife, but my wife was wanting to know what I was thinking. There wasn't one person that said, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you give up that job and how's, how's God going to provide for you? I don't know. God's going to provide. I mean, the whole conversation was great. Sometimes God calls us to things that are, that are big, that are beyond <laughs> our expectation. And wow, we are, I have no idea what to do with that. But we step out in obedience, right? Has God ever asked you to uh, invite your neighbor to church? And sometimes they're little things. You know, how difficult is it sometimes just to do something simple like ask your neighbor to come to church with you? And, you know, I got news for you. You, you might not catch them in the driveway. You might actually have to go up and, heaven forbid, knock on the door. I mean, just going to your neighbor to ask them to come to church with you sometimes, that can be daunting, can't it? I mean, it's kinda, it can be kind of scary. I've got some, I, got, I love my neighbors. I, if you're listening, uh, I love you. <laughs> I've got some neighbors that when I come next door, they just kind of, oh, here he comes. You know, when I first moved in, I didn't tell anybody I was a pastor. For that reason, <laughs> I knew that we were going to hold it against me. <laughs> you know, some God, sometimes God asks us to do big things, and sometimes they're small things. Um, you know, has God ever asked you to share your faith? Or, you know, sometimes if you make a faith commitment, God asks us to step out and get baptized. You know, we're, we're part of the body of Christ. Sometimes God might ask you to become a part of a small group. Sometimes God's going to ask you to honor him with your finances. That's a, that's a big one. I mean, there's things that God asks us to do that sometimes just make absolutely no sense that we do only because we're disciples of Christ, because of who we belong to, because of, because of where our faith is. And we know that God's going to provide and God's going to, you know, go before us in those areas. Sometimes God asks us to do things and uh, we just step out in obedience. And that's what the disciples um, had to do here. And I want to caution you here because I want to I just say something here. God will never ask you to do something 
that is a sin or violates his word. And so God will call us to do things. He calls us sometimes to do things that really move us out of our comfort zone. But God will never ask you to rob a bank. God will never ask you to commit murder or violate any of the Ten Commandments. God will not ask you to do anything that violates his word. And I tell you, I've heard some ungodly decisions that have been made that people will say, well, God told me to do that. And if you can't square that up with Scripture, then it is not from God. God will ask us to do things that will move us out of our comfort zone. You can count on that. Um, God will ask us to do things that we're uncomfortable with, but there are always things that line up with his word. When we invite our neighbors to church, that's being a witness. You know, you'll receive power and the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be what? You'll be a witness. And so we're called to be witnesses. And so you never have to worry about whether you should be praying about sharing your faith. You're a witness. If you're a believer, you are a witness. And so you can pray for the strength to do it and you can pray for the words to say. You don't have to worry about that because the Holy Spirit will intercede on your behalf. You know, we're called to be in community together. So when we ask people to get involved in a small group, we're not asking anybody to violate any scriptural principle. When we talk about getting connected to the body of Christ, when we talk about honoring God with our finances, when we talk about, you know, inviting people to church, when we talk about encouraging people to do their devotions, and you know, how you, listen, everything that we talk about is designed to help us grow in our faith and is in line with what we find in Scripture. You know, our thoughts and our feelings, um, what we hear from God needs to be influenced in, by the reflection of being in God's Word. And obedience is the key. You know, obedience is obeying God's Word. Jesus asked them to go get the cult, and they went. And when they got there in verse 33, it says this, as they were untying the cult, its owners came up to them and said, hey, what are you doing with my cult? <laughs> That's a valid question, isn't it? <laughs> you know, I want you to picture somebody, when you leave this morning, and you're walking out to your car, picture somebody over there trying to jimmy the window, get into your car. What's the first question you're going to ask? Dude, what are you doing to my car? That's not my car. God provides everything that we need, and God might want to move it around. God might call us to give a car to somebody else in need. God calls us to, to use our stuff for his purposes. And when we cling too hard to our stuff, we can't let go of it. And then the mindset becomes, this is mine, it's not God's. Everything that we have comes from God, from his hands, our minds, our jobs, his provision. Everything that we have, even my kids, are from him. You know, before my kids were born, God knew them. They were, before they were formed in the womb, God knew them and had a plan for them. I am just a steward. I get 18 years, Lord willing, with a child, and then they're on their own. Hopefully, hopefully it's not, you know, sometimes it's more. <laughs> but we have our children even for a temporary time, but we can influence them or we can train them up. We are stewards. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord. And when we release that for his purposes, that's obedience. And so obedience is about doing what God's asked us to do. It's about releasing those things that we know uh, belong to him and giving him control over all of our stuff. And when we're obedient, when we're obedient, God's will will be accomplished. That's how God accomplishes his plans, is in and through us. You want to know what God's will is for your life? It is rooted in obedience. I talk to people all the time that want to know, well, how do you know what God's will is? How do you know what God's will is? The interesting thing is, is that most people know what God's will is. Most people have a, 
you know, an innate sense of what's right and wrong, what they should be doing, and what they, sh- you know, what they should not be doing. And so most people know the real issue is, is do I have enough faith to step out of obedience to what God has called me to do or called me to stop doing? And so obedience is uh, rooted in who we are in Christ, and it's where we find uh, clarity on God's will and His purpose. You know, through the obedience of these disciples, uh, we see that God's will came to pass through that prophecy in Zechariah 9. In Zechariah 9, 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Are we glad those two guys were obedient? <laughs> Are we glad that, those, that the family that owned that colt let it go? It's, it's through their obedience that God's will came to pass. And that same truth applies to us today. We are obedient. When we are obedient, God's will and his purpose is made manifest. That's one of the lessons that we learn from the disciples as we look at this story from Palm Sunday. God's will is accomplished. His plans will come to pass when we are obedient to his word. Obedience is the first lesson from our passage today. The second lesson is this. Salvation is real. Salvation is real. The story of Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry of Jesus in Jerusalem, uh, sets up for us a contrast of two stories. It's who do we think Jesus is and who's the reality of who he is, right? You know, in Luke um, 19.34, the people had thrown down their cloaks and their branches. They were celebrating. They were excited. They thought he was, they, that he was going to be saving them from this Roman occupation. You know, they were expecting a king that was going to kind of come in and, and make Jerusalem great again. They were expecting a new president, somebody that was going to give them back their land. They were expecting somebody that was going to push out the Roman occupation and, and give them back what's theirs. And when Jesus came in, they were excited about it. Hey, we're going to get our land back. He's going to come in and kick all these people out. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to the highest. They were celebrating for the wrong reason. They were expecting a king that was going to give them back their land, that was going to move out this Roman occupation. They were not expecting a savior that was going to save them from their sins. They weren't waiting for a savior. They were, we don't need a savior. You know, take the savior back. I want my land back. And they turned on him. It would just be five days later, we see in Luke 23, when he gets capped, what do they do? I mean, the same crowds gathered, and what are they doing now? Ah, we're done with Jesus. In fact, you could keep Jesus. Give us Barabbas. They chose a murderer over Jesus. They didn't want a savior. They wanted somebody that was going to help them keep their stuff. They wanted somebody that was going to kick the Romans out and give them back their land. They did not want a savior. I can't think of a time. Think about the parallels. We, do, we don't want a Savior. I mean, think about when you were standing up. 75% of the people in our population, they don't want a Savior. They don't, you know, church is something, well, they're going to want my money. They're going to want my time. I'm going to have to serve. I mean, people just don't want. They're religious, but they don't want a Savior. People don't recognize their need for a Savior. And we desperately need one. We need a Savior that will save us from our sins. Recognized or not, if we're not careful, we will miss who Jesus is. Can Jesus heal you? You bet you can. Does that mean he's going to? Maybe. Maybe not. 
you know, when I was over in India, we were talking about every testimony I heard. It was really good to talk to CP if you got a chance to hear him last week. It was a blessing to be with him. But all their testimonies, I mean, Jesus is doing miracles. People are being healed. And I asked a guy that was uh, uh, in one of their small groups when I was over there, well, what do you do for people that don't get healed? You know, is Jesus in that too? I mean, we hear all these great stories about Jesus healing people. Um, we hear all these great stories about God changed my life and I left my job and I went into ministry. We hear all the big stories, but what about the small things? What happens when things don't go the way that we think they should? Is God in that too? Sure. God is in every aspect of our life because what we need is not just physical healing. What we really need is salvation. You know, I've shared many times about my wife struggling with cancer. She knows where she's going. And you know what? If God heals her, praise God. I'm really open for that, <laughs> to be honest with you. But you know what? The reality of that is that sometimes he doesn't. You know, we were at a funeral last week uh, for one of the, my wife's good friends. They both got diagnosed with cancer at the same time. They're both going to the same oncologist. They've been prayer partners. They've been talking to each other. They've been journeying together. And she went to be with the Lord last week. So we celebrated her life. And so part of that, you know, you get that survivor's goal. Well, how come she didn't get saved? How come I'm still alive? I mean, God is in both of those things. You know what our real need is? It's not for food, shelter. It's not for health. Our real need is for a Savior because this is a fallen, broken, messed up world. And we're going to be in it for 70, 80, maybe 90 years, maybe 100, 120. What's the max? Okay, 130. I'll give somebody 130 years. We're going to spend eternity somewhere else. Eternity versus years. We need a Savior. We are in desperate need of a Savior, and that's what we find in Christ. The reality is, is that only Jesus provides that solution. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, it says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to what? Give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to give them their land back. He didn't come to kick out the Romans. He came as their Messiah to save them from their sins. And that is what our deepest need is. And that's one of the realities that we find rooted in this passage on Palm Sunday, that Jesus wants to be our Savior. And so it's through our obedience that we're able to accomplish all that God has for us individually and together. And it's by being focused on the fact that Jesus alone provides our salvation that we find the true meaning of what's being explored uh, on Palm Sunday as we move towards Easter. The third reality is this. The third lesson we can learn is from the Pharisees. You know, it's through the example of the, Pharise- <laughs> the Pharisees that we see the reality of separation. We see the reality of separation. Nobody likes to talk about hell. In fact, even in my own conversations, when I'm talking to people, I was like, well, you can spend eternity in God's presence forever, or you can spend eternity not in God's presence forever. It's hard to talk about hell. I mean, seriously. It's one of the most difficult things for me to talk about because I don't want anybody to go to hell, number one. Number number two, there's so many preconceived ideas about it that um, <laughs> that the second you mention heaven or hell, pff, the conversation's over. You know, I was talking, it, I have a lot of conversations, by the way. I was talking <laughs> to somebody about, I just don't believe in a God that could send somebody to hell. What kind of God? You said he loves us. Why would he send me to hell? He doesn't. He doesn't send you to hell. Here's the good news. It's your choice. You get to pick. You want to spend eternity in heaven or do you want to spend eternity in hell? 
It's your, it really is your choice. And so we st- we, we're going to celebrate the 25 people that are standing up. Well, that's not fair. What about all those people? They get to make the same choice. It's up to us. That offer of salvation is available to every single person. But the reality is, is that some people, are, their hearts are hardened. They're living selfishly. They're living self-centeredly. And separation from God is a reality. The other statistic, there was too many statistics to share with you. It's how many people in our culture don't believe that hell exists. There are churches that don't believe that hell exists. It's called annihilation. And this is why it's so important you find a church that believes in Scripture. You know, we believe in the Bible. It's Springbrook. It's really important. And we got to talk about things sometimes, even if they're hard. Some churches will just tell you there's no hell. Everybody's going to heaven. You, know, you can go to the atheist church, and you don't even need God. And so you have to be really careful about what church you're part of. All the scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuke, and training up in righteousness so that we can be found approved. And one of the realities is, is that there are going to be some that are separated from God for all eternity. Those Pharisees, they were always, always at odds with Jesus. They were always trying to, you know, bring him down, prove him wrong. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know what, look at the next passage in Luke 19.39. What was the passage before that where they were all rejoicing? They're all rejoicing. And what do the Pharisees say? Well, all these people are rejoicing. Would you please tell your disciples to shut up? What are they rejoicing about? The Pharisees were concerned that they were going to lose power. They were going to lose influence over the people. And they wanted to be in charge. And the idea that somebody was going to come in and replace them did not sit well with them. They understood fully what was happening. They understood the prophecies. They, they all had Zechariah 9.9 memorized. They're still waiting for a Messiah today. If, if somebody of the Jewish faith, they're still waiting for a Messiah. These guys were waiting for a Messiah. They understood fully what Jesus was claiming, and they did not want him in there. Tell your disciples to shut up. That's a hardened heart that says, I don't want that. In fact, I don't want any else, anybody else having that. There are going to be people that intentionally reject who Jesus is. And it's easier to identify those because the conversations are usually high conflict. When I get into a conversation with somebody that's intentionally rejecting Jesus, hey, I love you, uh, I'll talk, let's talk about the weather because I know that conversation is not going anywhere. And so there's a lot of times people want nothing to do with a conversation with Jesus. You know what? God loves you anyway. I'm going to continue to pray and God's going to work that out. So there are people on the far side of rejecting Jesus. But you know what else that's staggering is to think about there are people in our church, there are people in churches today that also don't know how to have a relationship with Christ. They haven't made that faith commitment. They haven't committed their lives to Christ. They still have questions about that. And and when you think about it from a math perspective, they're both on the same side because you either have a relationship with Jesus or you don't. And so if you have any sense of security that you're okay with God because you're at church, that has a false sense of security. Because that, your security is only in placing your faith in Christ. That's what Ephesians 2, 8, 9 was all about. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith in Christ, not by works. So no one can boast. There's nothing you can do to be right with God apart from identifying with Christ, asking him to come into your life and believing that he is God, that he died on the cross for your sins and he was resurrected. And that's what we're going to be celebrating next week. But you don't have to wait till next week. If you've never committed your life to Christ and you want to know more about that, you can do that right now. You can do that you can do that tomorrow. You can do that today. You can do that anytime. It doesn't take an Easter service. Easter just happens to be a, a great time for us all to talk about what we should be talking about anyway. But the reality is, is that there are going to be some that are separated from God from all eternity. It's a harsh 
reality, but true. Matthew chapter uh, 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Not everyone is going to enter into heaven. That is a reality. And we see that in the life of the Pharisees as they're trying to rebuke Jesus to the point that he's really just coming in to proclaim to be the Messiah and to share the hope uh, of, a, of just being able to spend eternity with him. So one of, the, one of the realities, one of the lessons that we learned from this Palm Sunday is that, that the reality of the separation is real. The fourth lesson is that Jesus provides hope. We find hope because of who we are in Christ. Jesus models for us where our real hope is. You know, it's interesting, as Jesus starts to approach Jerusalem, as he draws near to the city, and he sees the city, it says that he wept over it. And that word wept, it's not, you know, boo-boo-hoo, it's not, you know, shedding some tears. Um, it's, it's wailing, weeping. He's crying, he's lamenting. He's lamenting over the city. Oh, that you, even you, had known on this day the things that need to happen in order for you to find peace with my Father. In this world, we're going to have trials, tribulations, we're going to have problems. Our peace is found in Him. Our peace is founding as we're reconciled with a Father that is perfect and we're not. Our peace is found in who we are in Christ. And Jesus at this point knows they don't get it. They will. It's hidden from them now. They will come to know, but his heart breaks for these people because they don't know who he is. They don't know what he's going to have to endure for him to give us peace with the Father. They don't understand his suffering. And you know what else? They don't understand their suffering. Because following Christ, there's a cost for that. Every one of those disciples <laughs> gave their life for their faith. Jesus is weeping because there's, they don't know who he is, they don't know what he's going to go through, and they don't know what they're going to have to go through. It's kind of a sad situation. But there is hope because there is going to be a day where we do have peace with regard to who we are in the Father's eyes. And we're going to celebrate that next Sunday with Easter. But we don't have to wait till next Sunday because we know today the realities of what's true in these passages in Palm Sunday. We know that Jesus is God. We know that he overcame death on the cross. We know that we have new life in him. We know that he takes the old and makes it new. We know that he came and gave us life to have it to the full. We know everything we need to know that they didn't know. How much more should we be accountable for making a decision for that? Right? Jesus alone provides us hope. And if we're not careful, we can move through Palm Sunday. We can let our kids move through Palm Sunday. We can leave people around us, our neighbors. We can move through Palm Sunday and be Jesusless if we're not careful. We're very religious. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and not miss him because that is where we find our hope. Jesus is our Savior. He's our Messiah. John would write this in 1 John chapter 5. I'll write these things to you. We've got Scripture so that we may believe in the Son of God, that you may know what? That you may have eternal life. Our eternal life comes from who we are in Christ. And that is where we find hope. That's what it means for Jesus to be our Messiah. That's what it means for us to have our sins forgiven and to be right with God. And that's something to celebrate, isn't it? The fifth lesson is this. Each of us have a decision to make. 
And so it's not in the passage, but now the question is, what are you going to do with the passage? So we know this. Who is Jesus to you? You know, we can be religious. There's a lot of different opinions out there about who Jesus is. Who is Jesus to you is the question. Each of us must come to our own mind, come to believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died for my sins, and that because of my faith in him and God's grace, I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. We must be able to each say that if we're going to be disciples and be able to be obedient, be able to find our hope in him, and not have to fear the separation and experience the reality of our salvation. We each must be able to make that decision. That's what um, Peter did. And... Um, Luke chapter 9, it would, Jesus would say to Peter, hey, this is what everybody's saying about me, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ of God. You are the Messiah. You are my Savior. I know who you are, and I have a relationship with you. Well done. We each must be able to make, like Peter, that decision for understanding who Christ is. Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Nobody can do that for you. We each must make that decision on our own. Heaven is available for anyone that is willing to put their faith in Jesus Christ and make him Lord. That's my prayer as we move through these, through these next you know, few days, as we move towards Easter, that the lessons that we learn today, you would not forget tomorrow. Don't be in that 60% category tomorrow. The one takeaway today is, is that you can be religious and miss Jesus. If you don't get anything but that, take that with you today. But I'm, it's my prayer as we move towards Good Friday, as we move towards Easter, that we would be able to experience the reality of living those lessons out in our life. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for your call in our life. I thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. I thank you for Palm Sunday that we can come together to celebrate the reality of who we are and who you are. And um, God, I just pray for my friends. I pray for our church that as we move towards Easter, uh, that you would use us to draw other people to yourself. I pray that we would be encouraged in our faith and that we would continue to grow as you shape and mold us into the likeness of your son. And uh, we just look forward to all that you have for us. Uh, God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.